Well, here's another nice mess I got you into. It never ceases to amaze me the kinds of predicaments and problems that people can get themselves into, the messes that they get themselves into. And I think one of the reasons that these are so funny for us is they're so real to life. We can almost see ourselves do something that stupid, can't we? And we laugh every time we see it. We know what's going to happen, but we laugh because we would probably do it again. We get ourselves overextended physically. We get ourselves overextended emotionally. We get ourselves overextended financially. And one of the questions that I hear almost on every Alpha course that we do is this. How did we get into such a mess? And they'll say, how did, how did we personally and how did we, the world, get into such a mess? Everybody wants to know that. And that's what we want to talk about today. We want to focus on that. The answer is, in a nutshell, we get into messes like that when we try to live our lives outside of God's plan for our lives. When we ignore God's will, when we refuse to live by the principles that He's laid out in His Word, principles for living, we're just asking for trouble. Every time we're asking for trouble. And Jonah was the example that I chose to uh, substantiate that. He's a guy that made a real mess out of his life. Now, I think usually the story of Jonah is overshadowed by the whale. You know, Jonah and the whale. We always talk about Jonah. The kids back there will talk about Jonah and the whale. It's like you can't separate the two. It's like all those great couples, those famous couples uh, from history, like uh, Anthony and Cleopatra. And Cleopatra's asp. Romeo and Juliet. Wherefore art thou, Romeo? Bonnie and Clyde. Our friends Laurel and Hardy that we just looked at. Jonah and the whale. But you know the fact is that the word whale never appears in the book of Jonah. Not one time does it appear. The Bible says that God provided a great fish. That's it. Provided a great fish. And it's not the leading character in the book. It's not even an important supporting role if we were making a movie. Definitely not the main purpose of the story. The main purpose of the book of Jonah, the main uh, character in the book of Jonah is Jonah. It's Jonah's book. Now, people have disagreed for years, uh, probably ever since it was written, about whether it's possible for God to create a fish so large that it could swallow a human being, keep it, keep that human being, and then uh, expel the human being so that he could live to tell about it. I don't know whether you consider the story of Jonah and the whale to be a parable or whether you consider it to be historical. As for me, I consider it historical. But either way, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. There's truths in the story that I want us to try to apply to our lives today, and I think they parallel our lives in so many ways. You see, the story of Jonah teaches us how people get themselves into messes, and then it shows us how we can get ourselves out of the messes that we get into. And Jonah definitely, I think we would all agree, got himself into a mess. As I read this, 
there's only four chapters in Jonah, four short chapters. As I read these, I saw five different stages in Jonah's life. And I don't know that those stages are any different than stages that we have in our lives. So let's, let's look at those, um, the stages that we go through when we get ourselves involved in trouble. The first is this, God's declaration. God's declaration, beginning at Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. And God said, Hey, Jonah, I've got a, a job for you. I want you to go over to Nineveh and speak to those people. How about that? Would you like to do that? The Bible teaches us, and we've talked about this for the last several months, it seems. The Bible teaches us that God creates every person with a purpose in mind, with a plan in mind for their life. You fit into some grand scheme of God's. You, each one of us here, is an important and integral part, I would say, of God's plan. There's an agenda for your life. There's a plan, and your life has a meaning. We're asked that question in Alpha, too. What, what, is, the mean, what is my meaning? What, what meaning do I have on this earth, if any? Your, plan, your uh, life does have a meaning. And God made you, and He made me, not just to take up air on earth, but to play out this plan that He's devised for you and for me. God told Jonah, I want you to go over to Nineveh. Nineveh. Hmm. Who's ever heard of Nineveh? Well, there's no unimportant job that God calls you to. Every job He calls you to is important. And He said, I want you to speak to them. Them, the people at Nineveh. Here's, here's a map of Nineveh. We see uh, Israel here in this section by the Mediterranean Sea. You can see Jerusalem down here. And Nineveh is way up there to the east of Israel. Nineveh is in what is presently the country of Iraq. Iraq. It was the capital of I understand, of the Assyrian Empire. It was the largest, the most uh, influential, the wealthiest, the most powerful city in the world at this time. That's what Nineveh was. About half a million people lived in Nineveh, 500,000 people. And it was on the east bank of the Tigris River. I can imagine it would be somewhere about where Baghdad is, somewhere in that area in modern-day Iraq. And God said, I know what's going on over there in Nineveh, and I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. Now, remember that God sees everything that's going on. He sees all the sin that's taking place in New York City. He sees all the, and that's a lot, isn't it? He sees all the sin that's taking place in Chicago. He sees all the sin that's taking place in Washington, D.C. He sees all the sin that's taking place in the Grand Strand. He sees it all. He's not blind. God said, Jonah, I have a job for you to do. Now, you and I, we don't have to follow God's will for our lives. We can ignore it. But that's when we get into trouble. And the trouble begins almost immediately. And that leads us to stage two. First was God's declaration. The second is Jonah's hesitation, his hesitation. Verse three. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. Hmm. And he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. 
After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So God said, Jonah, I have a plan for your life. I have a purpose for you. I have something I want you to do. And after thinking it over very carefully for a very short period of time, Jonah says, Lord, I'm not sure I want that honor. You see, I'm kind of busy. I got these other things that I need to do. I've got other plans. I could really spend my time better. Thanks, but thanks, but no thanks. I'll just meet up with you later somewhere. That was his resistance stage, this hesitation stage. And what it really is, is that time that we begin to doubt whether God even has our best interests at heart. Does he really have my best interests at heart? We don't really believe that God knows what he's doing. I know more about my life and what I want to accomplish than, than God could. I mean, he's kind of interrupting my plan after all. And we have a tendency to reject God's plan. Now, this is not necessarily open rebellion. We're not saying, God, I hate you and I'm never going to do anything for you again in my life. Stay out of my life. It's not that kind of open rebellion. Sin isn't usually an open rebellion. Sin is usually just an attitude that we have. It's more like, eh, thanks, but no thanks, God. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. We can kind of coexist, you know. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. We can get on with our lives. Now, the Bible says that Jonah went down to Joppa. That was a seaport town. And he got himself a ticket on a Mediterranean cruise. And he goes down to a bunk and he goes to sleep. He says, hmm, I'll just forget this whole thing. I'll rest all the way to Tarshish. And I like this one translation that I saw uh, the first week when I was looking at a bunch of different translations to put in here. This one translation of the Bible said, verse 5, Jonah was asleep and snoring. Now, I don't know whether he was at Fort Caswell or, or what, but we know that men at Fort Caswell have this affinity for snoring, and the roof kind of shakes as they do that, calling no names. What was he really doing down there sleeping and snoring? He was running away from God. That's what he was doing, running away from God. Look at this second map. You've got in the far east there, you've got Nineveh to the east of Israel. And then on the far west side, you've got Tarshish. Notice that right after that is the Atlantic Ocean. Tarshish was in what is today Spain, and that was as far west as they had settled. It was, it was the end of the world, if you will. Far east was uh, Nineveh. Far west was Tarshish. The exact opposite. Instead uh, of going to the east like God told him, Jonah said, I think I'll go, hmm, I think I'll go to Tarshish, seaport. Hmm, that's a good place to go. Jonah said, not only am I I not going to go east, I'm going to go west, and I'm going to go as far west as I possibly can go to the ends of the earth. He was running from God. And there's a thousand different ways that we can run from God, you and me, ways that we can try to evade God's claim on our lives when he comes to stake that claim. It could be recreation. It could be like sports and recreation, whether it's us as participants, and it takes a lot of our time to practice and play and go to games, 
or whether it's as a spectator. Or we just love to go watch. Or we watch it on TV or whatever the case might be. Recreation. We just don't have time for God because we've got to take care of our bodies, you know. It could be our career. Where we're so busy making a buck that we don't have time for God and the values that he imparts to our lives. It could be hobbies or television. It could be your family. It could be your family. You just get too busy with family life to have time for God. Well, I only have my children once, and we got to make this happen. And You don't have time for God. You don't have time for his direction in your life. And you try to forget God, just like Jonah tried to forget God. But your first fill in the blank there on your handout is this. You can try to forget God, but God will never forget you. Try as hard as you want to to forget God. He will never forget you. And that leads to stage number three, Jonah's deterioration. An easier way to say that would be Jonah's life started falling apart, falling to pieces. Look at verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. God said, you're not going to get away that easily, do you think? As a result of rejecting God's plan, Jonah's life, his very life, began to fall apart. Now, it wasn't instantaneous, I I don't imagine. It doesn't tell us here, but I wouldn't think so. They probably set sail from the port. It was a nice, sunny day. The seas were calm. But eventually, they met up with the storm that was brewing on the horizon. Inevitably, that always happens. And sure enough, the storm hit. You say, God, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go my own way. And when you make that statement, everything seems to go okay for a while, doesn't it? Hmm. Lightning doesn't strike. Seems like you've survived this pretty well. Well, I told you, God, didn't I? Hmm. But eventually... Eventually, it catches up with you. And you get into predicament. You get into a, to a mess, just an absolute mess. You face a storm, and it seems like all of a sudden, your life's falling apart. Seems like it was instantaneous, but when you think back, it wasn't really instantaneous. It's been building over a period of time. And the point is this. When you run from God... You're only headed for trouble. Every time you run from God, you're only headed for trouble. Sometimes it seems immediate, but more often than not, i found, it's delayed. But you can count on it either way. It'll be there. It'll always show up. Verse 3 of chapter 1 says this, and this is an important phrase. It's just one phrase to look at. Talking about Jonah, it says, after paying the fare. After paying the fare. You know what? Every time you run from God, there's a cost. There is a cost for you. There's a price tag for ignoring God's will. It's costly, it's expensive, and you know what? It's never worth the cost. It's never worth the price you have to pay. But Jonah paid the fare, the Scripture says. He had to pay for the results of his running from God. It's expensive. And you pay for your rejection of God's plan in a bunch of different ways. Emotionally, you pay. You pay for it in worry and in guilt and in depression and anxiety and boredom. You pay for it physically with 
ulcers and heart attacks and illnesses and, and problems that, that you bring on yourself, stress and uh, cancers. You pay for it spiritually. You pay for it with a lack of, of peace of mind, with a lack of joy in your life, with a lack of power in your life to accomplish anything at all. These are all the things that it costs you when you ignore God's will. And the book of Jonah is saying that to ignore God in my life exacts a costly toll. To ignore God in my life exacts a costly toll. It's going to cost you to ignore God in your life. It's like a train running down the track, and, and you know, the track runs here, but there's this huge field over here, and, and the track picks up down there again. Why couldn't the train just jump off of this track and catch up with it over there? Well, it could. It could. But it would be destroyed if it jumped the track. Jonah had to pay for the results of going against God, of running against God. Notice what happens in verse 12 here. When we sin, it doesn't only affect us, it also affects other people. I've heard people say, well, I'm not hurting anybody but myself. Bull. Bull. It hurts other people. It affects other people as well. The storm got worse, and, and in verse 12, when the ship was about to crash, Jonah, talking to the sailors, says, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. It's my fault that it's come upon you. Whenever you go against God's will, you're not the only one who suffers. Don't make yourself think that you are. Other people suffer too. Innocent people are hurt. I mean, look at our society. It's full of examples. When other people blow it in terms of crime and drug abuse, addictions, alcoholism, who pays the bill for that? Well, if we're talking financially, we pay the bill for that. Everybody else pays the bill for that. People who weren't involved in it are the people that pay the bill for it. Little children, innocent children, suffer when their parents decide to run from God. Other people are affected by your life, whether you realize it or not. And that's what Jonah was, was saying. The storm got worse and worse. Finally, the sailors threw Jonah overboard, and immediately the storm stopped. Immediately it stopped. And Jonah was in the pits, yeah. He was at the bottom, literally, of the ocean. Couldn't go much lower than that. You see, running from God is always downhill. Running from God is always downhill. It's always deteriorating. It's always degrading. Verse 17 says this, But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. And we could spend at least one service just on that one little phrase right there, inside the fish three days and three nights. He was getting desperate. And the situation didn't look too promising for him, did it? Ever been swallowed by fish? He'd started off on this great cruise, this great Mediterranean cruise, but things weren't working out as promised. The travel agents had lied to him. 
Why is it that we never get serious until we get desperate? Why is that? It seems that we can never really honestly get serious about our life with Christ until we get desperate and we absolutely need Him. As long as things are going fine or, 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 or even half fine, we can tolerate them. We can get by by the skin of our teeth. We can do things halfway and get by. We just cruise along, kind of half-hearted, until that crisis comes. Then we get desperate. Then we're finally ready to change. Jonah had reached desperation, and that's where the fourth stage comes in, Jonah's realization. He said, hey, things aren't turning out as I planned. This wasn't in the itinerary here. Maybe God was right. What's the first thing he does when his life falls apart? It's chapter 2. Chapter 2 in the book of Jonah. From inside the whale, Jonah prayed. In my distress, he said, I called to the Lord and he answered me. For from the depths of the grave, I called to help, to, uh, to him for help. Isn't that typical? When we get desperate, we call out. When, when the bottom fell out, then he started praying. If he'd done that earlier, he wouldn't have been in this mess in the first place. We just wait until everything falls apart. But before this, he was too busy running from God to stop and talk to God. I'm too busy doing, doing my own thing, God. I'm going my own way. I, you know, as I said, I'll catch up with you later. But when everything falls apart, he suddenly says, In my distress, I cried to the Lord. How typical is that? How typical is that? I cried to the Lord. For a lot of people, this is something we looked at the last couple of weeks, for a lot of people, God's the last resort. And prayer is that emergency number, that 911 number that we use. When everything's falling apart and it gets serious, then we pick up the phone and call. And once it's taken care of, we hang that phone up again. We don't want to use it until we absolutely have to the next time. How many people do you know around you? I don't mean sitting beside you here, but I mean around you that you are involved with in your sphere of influence. How many people do you know that have absolutely no concern at all for spiritual matters? They could care less about anything spiritual. They get into an accident, <clears throat> and who's the first person they turn to? Oh, Buddha. No, they don't, they don't call on Buddha. It's, oh, God, help me. They start crying out to God. They start using that emergency number. And that's what happened here. It's too, it's too bad that for... A lot of us, the bottom has to fall completely out before we even consider it. What will it take for God to get your attention? What will it take for God to get your attention? We have to knock you on the head and say, hey, listen here. Listen, listen. Listen up. Will it take a tragedy? Will it take a crisis? Will it take financial disaster? Will it take a major failure? Will it take an illness? 
What will it take? You've heard me say it before that God loves you so much. He cares for you so much. He will do whatever it takes to get your attention. Because he doesn't want you to waste this life that he's given to you. He'll do whatever it takes. God put Jonah, <clears throat> Jonah at the bottom of the ocean. That's what it took for Jonah. Finally, he said, now I've got your total undivided attention, Jonah. Shut up and listen to me. Be quiet. I've got a plan for you. It's for your own good. It's going to make you happy. And Jonah says, right. Right. God had his undivided attention, all right. And Jonah realized his foolishness, and he repented. Read, read the book of Jonah. You'll see. He said, God, this was so stupid of me. I can't run from you. It's like, it's like that psalmist says in Psalm 139.8. If you go up to heaven, if I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning as a dove, even there your hand lifts me up. I can't get away from you, God. And Jonah realized right then and there that it was fruitless to try to run from God. God had a plan for his life, and it not only was a plan, it was the best plan for his life. And that's what we see in stage five, Jonah's restoration. Chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. Do you remember that map of Nineveh? Nineveh's nowhere close to water. It's in the middle of this peninsula, nowhere close to water. The fish vomited Jonah out on dry land. And I bet Jonah hit the ground running, and I bet he was running straight for Nineveh, and I bet he didn't even take a bath. Chapter 3, verse 1, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. And this time, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. That was Jonah's restoration, his restoration. God did this beautiful thing. See, God's a God of the second chance. He gave him a second chance. It says the word of God came to Jonah a second time. That's grace in action. God says, no matter what you've done, let's start over. I'll give you another chance. And he says that to you. No matter what you've done. Doesn't matter to me what you've done. Let's start over. Let's just begin this whole thing anew. I'll give you another chance. What the story of Jonah says to us is this. God never writes you off as long as you're alive. Never will he write you off as long as you're alive. He always holds out the hope of reconciliation and restoration. He will never forget you. He always offers hope of a second chance. This time, when you read on, Jonah didn't hesitate. He jumped at the chance. He began to cooperate with God's plan for his life. And you know what? The plans were absolutely phenomenal. When you read chapter 3 and chapter 4, you realize that Jonah spoke to the entire city of Nineveh, approximately 500,000 people, and all of them were converted. The Scripture says, from the king down to the smallest child, they all turned their lives over to God. Wow. That's phenomenal. When we're doing what God's plan for us involves, 
the results can be astounding. Now, that's the story of Jonah. The little story that the kids would, would learn in the back room. But what application does it have for, for you and me? What can it mean to us today here in Little River, South Carolina? I think each of us, if we're honest, each of us in our own way runs from God from time to time. Now you say, oh, I don't run from God. I've never, I would never do that. I would never run from God. But I say you do. (laughs) I say you do. And you say, well, how, how can that be? What do you mean? How can I run from God? Well, when you know to do something that's right and you're procrastinating doing it, that's running from God. If God's called you to do that, you know it's the thing to do and you don't do it, that in essence is running from God. When God's given you a talent or an ability or a gift and you set it on the shelf and you don't use it, that's running from God. When you see a need like Nineveh or a place of ministry where you can help out either here at Renovation or in the community, and God's gifted you with the talents to use to to handle that ministry, and you say, "Let, let somebody else do it. That's running from God. And when you refuse to admit God's claim on your life, when you hold back even one area your family life, your business life, your financial life, your recreational life, some area of your life, you hold it back from God, you're running from God. Why do we do it? Why do we even hesitate like Jonah? Why do we we resist God's plan? If God's plan's so good and He knows what's best, why would we even think about resisting it? For years, in different uh, venues and different positions, I've talked to people saying something like this to them. God loves you. He loves you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to bring peace and and purpose into your life. He wants to bring new meaning. He wants to forgive anything that you've done wrong. He wants to give you a home in heaven with Him throughout eternity. He wants to give you power over your problems. He wants to give you everything that you ever need. He wants to make your life an abundant life. I tell them that. And they run from me like I'm trying to share cancer with them. Why is that? Why do people resist that message? I think there's two reasons that it boils down to. The first is this pride. Pride. We think we know more than God. We think, I know what's best for me. And I'm going to run my own life in my own way at my own time. And we call that pride. And the second thing would be fear. The fear that maybe God doesn't know what he's talking about. Maybe we're afraid he might ask us to do something. Maybe we're afraid he might ask us to go say something to the people of Nineveh or outer Slobovia, or, oh, heaven forbid, the neighbor next door. I'd have to say something. We have a lack of trust, so we hold back, and we end up existing instead of living. And that's just fear. The big idea for today is this. Success is knowing the will of God for my life and being right in the center of it. 
Success is knowing the will of God for my life and being right in the center of it. We've had several lessons on how you know the will of God. Essentially, you talk to him once in a while. You know, if you communicate with him, you might begin to know what his will is. So start there. We, we'll be talking about that more in the future. God has a plan. He has an agenda. He has a blueprint. He has a schedule. He has a format for your life and my life. And you have the option of following that blueprint and finding meaning and fulfillment and purpose, or you can do your own thing, and your life is going to be in a mess, I promise you, an absolute mess. God doesn't want you to waste your life. He has that important job for you. He created you for it. He gives life, your life, a purpose and a meaning. The cost is, is way high. It's expensive. It's expensive. Jonah paid the price for his disobedience. Some of you have been paying the price for years as you sit, sit here right now. You've been paying it in your personal lives. You've been paying it in your marriage. You've been paying it in, in your finances. You've been paying it emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And maybe you feel like this Jonah guy who's at the bottom of the sea, down in the dumps, Jonah even describes it like this in chapter 2, verse 5. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. You're feeling that you've been just mummified in the seaweed, this slimy stuff that you can't get off, and it's holding you down, and it won't let you go. Let me ask you one more time. What will it take for God to get your attention? What's it going to take? Knock on the head? Have you been running from God? Have you? You can run for, from God for the rest of your life. You can do that. You can run from God for the rest of your life. And then what? What happens then? Maybe you're a Christian here today and God says, I have a plan for you. I have a job for you to do. It's where you're going to find meaning and purpose in life. I have a ministry for you to carry out here at Renovation Church. And maybe you say, but George, I've, I've tried that in the past. I failed. I've blown it. And because I've blown it, I don't, I don't want to even try it again. I'm afraid to even try it again. I've made so many mistakes. But hear this. Just because you failed in the past... It doesn't relieve you of your responsibility in the present. In no way does it relieve you of that responsibility. You just get up, suck it up, and try again. God loves to use failures, doesn't He? People who've made mistakes in the past. God's a God of second chances. That's what Jonah is about. Jonah blew it royally. About as bad as any of us could. God said, go east, and Jonah went west as far as he could. But did Jonah get another chance? You bet your sweet bippy he did. And the results of that second chance were absolutely phenomenal. Not just mediocre, not just testing the water. The whole city of Nineveh came to know the Lord. God loves to use people who fail. People like Jonah. People like Simon Peter. 
people like Moses, people like Saul, people like Jacob, people like Rahab, people like George Wilson. Failures. He takes ordinary, average people and he does extraordinary things with them. And he does it every day. He's the God of the second chance. When you look at this story of, uh, of uh, Jonah, it divides easily into four parts. And I'll just give you these because some of the people about had apoplexy in the last service because I didn't fill in these blanks. So I know if you're one of those blank fillers, you want this. Four ways that Jonah ran. In chapter 1, Jonah ran from God. In chapter 2, Jonah ran to God. He ran back to God. In in chapter 3, Jonah ran with God. He ran with him to Nineveh. He preached the word, and the results were amazing. Do you know that 90% of Christians have never introduced another person to Jesus Christ? 90% of the people have never introduced somebody else to Jesus Christ. We all need to go to Nineveh. Chapter 4 Jonah ran ahead of God. And sometimes we do that too. Sometimes we run ahead of him. If you're a Christian and you're here today, my message to you is run with God. Run with him. And you say, well, George, can you be a Christian and not run with God? Well, yeah, Jonah was a man of God, and he didn't run with him. He was running away from him. I know a lot of people who become Christians, and they feel great. They just kind of sit back, and, ah, my salvation is secure. I don't have to do anything else. I'm going to sit here on the sidelines, and I'm not going to get involved anymore. I've done that. Never going to have a place again in service or ministry. And God says, no. No, that's not where you find fulfillment. You find fulfillment in giving. You find fulfillment in sharing. You find fulfillment in serving. You find fulfillment in running with God. Not sitting on the sidelines of life, but getting involved. I don't know why... God had me share this message today. But evidently somebody here is running from God. It could be you. I mean, we wouldn't know it. We don't see. We, we can't tell that. I don't know who it is, but God does. And if it's you, you probably are pretty sure it's, it's you. Is there something in your life that you know that you ought to do, but you've been putting it off? You've been running from God? You've been procrastinating? Has God given you a talent or an ability or an asset that you ought to be using for His kingdom, and you're not using it? Have you said, like Jonah... Uh, Maybe some other time, Lord. Not right now. I'm I'm a little busy today. I'll do it later. Besides, I've failed in the past, and I don't want to fail you again. God's saying to you today, I am the God of a second chance. Come and try me. I want to give you another chance. Pray with me. The Bible says that Jonah paid a price for his running from God. And some of you here have been paying a price for, for weeks, for months, for literally years. 
paying that price emotionally with worry and anxiety and depression and fear and anger and bitterness. Paying the price physically with ulcers and backaches and headaches and heartaches and heart attacks and cancers. Stress. Paying the price spiritually with no power in your life, with no answer to your prayers, with a loss of joy in everything you do. Would today be your day? Could today be your day? Would you, would you pray this prayer? Simple God, I want to be available to you. That's it. I want to be available to you. I'm making myself available to you. I want to follow the blueprint that you've made for my life as much as I know how. Forgive me, God, for doing my own thing and for not consulting you. I want to commit all of my life to you. I want to run with you, not from you. And if you're one of the ones here today that has failed in the past, just say, Lord, you know I've made mistakes. You know what those mistakes are. And I ask you to forgive me and to help me start over again. God, you are the God of the second chance. You can take a totally messed up life that ends up on the bottom of the ocean and in just a few days use it to bring about the greatest revival in history in an entire city when half a million people were converted. And if you've never opened up your heart to Jesus Christ before, Pray this, Jesus, make yourself real to me. I want to know if you're real. Come into my life. Help me to be a new person. Change me. Become the manager of my life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, talk to me afterwards, please. Talk to one of the ministry team that will be on either side here shortly. Let us know. We'd love to celebrate that with you.